Good morning. My name is Stan Gale, and I am filling in for Max uh, this morning while he is on sabbatical. Get sorted here. All right, we are continuing our series through the Epistle of James, and I'm going to be reading our text this morning, which is James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. So let's give ear to the reading of God's Word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe, and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Since the reading of the very word of the living God, the title of this morning's message is Faith That Works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that as we meet, as we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns on high, so Lord, you meet with us in a peculiar way. And Lord, as you have, as you have inhabited our singing and our prayers, so we ask that your spirit would inhabit the preaching of your word to accomplish the purposes for which you intended in each life here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In our series through James, I've uh, quoted from the Apostle Paul a number of times to reinforce what James has been teaching, uh, but this morning may be a different story. This morning we move into the longest section on any single subject in the epistle of James. And we also encounter what some consider the most notorious teaching of his letter. Its notoriety stems from its 
apparent contradiction with what Paul teaches. In Romans 3, verse 28, Paul says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But look what James says in verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul says that justification is not by works, but by faith alone. James writes that justification is by works and not by faith alone. This contradiction was so severe in the mind of Martin Luther that he declared the epistle of James to be an epistle of straw. And he questioned its inclusion in the Bible. What was Luther's problem? It stems from how he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luther had been haunted by his sins. He knew that he was guilty before a holy God and that the sentence of condemnation hung over his head. And no matter how often Luther confessed his sin, no matter how earnestly he confessed his sin, no matter how diligently he tried to pursue righteousness, he could not find peace. And then Luther discovered this. He discovered that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith to faith. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift. Well, Luther, once he discovered that, once he heard that, once he embraced that, he uh, gained that assurance of salvation that his heart had been craving. He had found rest for his soul. And he discovered a salvation that did not depend on what he did or what he could ever do, but on what Christ did in his stead. And now Luther turns to the book of James and reads in verse 24 that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You can imagine the flashbacks that Luther might have had, the flashbacks of his struggles with sin, the flashbacks of his bondage to the law that convicted him and weighed on him so heavily. So you see, as we turn to our text this morning, we're not just parsing some theological terms. 
We're not sparring over some secondary topic of the faith. At issue before us this morning is the heart of the gospel itself and the integrity of the message of the entire Bible. We've mentioned that while James deals with many topics, the overarching theme of the book of James has to do with faith. And James brings that faith front and center to us this morning to consider. Basically, what James does is he pops the hood. He pops the hood on our profession of faith. And he presses upon us three diagnostic questions as we examine our profession of faith. The first, does the faith we profess show evidence of life? Does the faith we profess show evidence of life? Now, James begins by calling us to question our faith. Verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? You see what he's doing here? He's questioning a person's claim to faith. It's what a per- if someone says. It's what they are saying, what they are claiming. And in so doing, James speaks to each one of us here in this room and those tuning in, calling us, to take a look, to examine the, our faith that we profess. Paul does the same thing, doesn't he? In his second letter to the Corinthians, after writing all sorts of things to them as the church of God, he says this in chapter 13, the last chapter, he says, examine yourselves to see if you belong to the household of faith. Examine yourselves to see if you are, the, are of the faith. And what he does is he presents it as a pass-fail test. Well, James here goes on to give us a test. Verse 15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Recently, um, my wife and I have uh, had our kitchen remodeled the first time since we've lived in the house for 30 plus years. And we had the kitchen remodeled. And one of the features of this remodeling is that we gained a whole bunch of extra outlets, which is very, very handy. Well, one family dinner, my wife uh, plugged in a crock pot into one of those uh, new outlets. And a while later, I went over and I touched the crock pot. And it was stone cold. And what it turned out, we found out, is that the wires, I understand nothing of this, the wires had been not attached properly. They were crossed somehow. So the outlet 
appeared to be useful. But it failed the test. James provides a test for the faith we profess by checking the connection between word and deed. What it is that we say and how it is that we live. Now, what point is James making in, these, in this illustration here, this test? On the one hand, he's reminding us just what we saw last week. And that is that the love that God requires is not mere well-wishing. Biblical love is not something that is, at its essence, sentimental. Rather, it is something that is sacrificial, substantial, a love that steps up. But on the other hand, James is making here, in this test, a profound point that illustrates whether the faith that we profess is real or we are imagining it. If your faith shows up in words only and not in deeds, that faith fails the test. In fact, that faith is no more effective than trying to feed the homeless by giving them a menu instead of giving them food. And then James drives his point home in verse 17 when he says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith that shows no evidence of life is dead. That outlet in my newly remodeled kitchen, there it was in a place we didn't have an outlet before. It was a perfect place for the crockpot, inviting, and we were pleased with it. We plugged it in. It offered so much promise. But it had, it had no power because it was not live. It was dead. In, incapable of meeting expectation. All right. Here's the pastoral point that James is making to each of us here. He's saying, if you say you are a believer, if you say that you have faith and are saved, if you believe your sins are forgiven and that you have, as a sure hope, eternal life, but your heart is unresponsive to the things of God. And your life is unaffected. And James says, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's the first diagnostic question. Does the faith we profess show evidence of life? Secondly, does the faith we profess Embrace the truth of God. Does the faith that we profess embrace the truth of God? All right, now, what James does is he approaches uh, the matter of genuine faith from a different perspective. And what, and what he does is he offers an argument. 
In verse 18, he says, but someone will say. And you know, there, there are, we'll see this word translated but in a number of different places in James. And there's a but like of discourse as he moves the, the flow of thought alone. But this but is a hard stop. Because in it, he arrests our attention. He's pressing an argument. Verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. It's all good. We'll both get there in the end. No worries. How did you come to church this morning? Did you take a maybe 926? Maybe you came 352? Maybe 202 was in the equation, but others of you came from a different direction. See, there are a variety of ways to make it to this church facility this morning, to make it to this meeting of worship. And that's what the argument that James is putting in someone's mouth, that was their argument. As they say, well, I've got one, you've got the other. And what they're trying to do is present faith and works as two distinct yet viable options to salvation. And it also tries to make it a matter of personal opinion. Maybe you've had conversations with people like that where they'll look at you, you'll try to tell them about Jesus, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Hey, that's great for you. you know, but yet there are a variety of other things. You know, Many, many roads lead Each one is viable. Each one is legitimate. The important thing is this, that you're sincere and that your conviction is firm. What does James say? Verse 18, he goes on, Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You know what he's saying? He's saying that there are not two ways to God. God has not presented a variety of options. And it's not a matter of what you want, what you prefer. That's not what makes it real. That's not what makes it legitimate. That's not what makes it effective. Jesus put it plainly. In John's Gospel, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Do you hear what he said? He who hears my word not and believes in him who sent me, believes him who sent me, believes the testimony of the Father, believes the word of God, believes the inscripturated, inspired, revealed truth of God, believes what God has declared and attested to in his Son. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. Peter, as the gospel is going forth with great power and effectiveness in the book of Acts, Peter says this, in no uncertain terms, he says, and there is salvation in no one else 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So in response to this faith or works argument, James uh, makes a statement that someone from the state of Missouri would be proud of. You know, Missouri is the show-me state. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. In my time here at, uh, at Metacroft, back when I was sitting in the very back there, the man who sat in the back, uh, there have been several times that uh, new members have been brought to this platform and presented to the congregation saying they've been received into membership, they are now part of this church family, they get their picture in the directory and all the perks, right? Well, how, how did the elders decide if someone can be a member of this church? Did they have to be Syracuse fans? Did they have to agree that they will sign up for church lunches and not just show up? How? Communicant membership, being admitted to the Lord's table as part of this church, requires a profession of faith. Well, how does that work? How did the elders figure out whether a person's profession of faith is legit. There's no spiritual x-ray somewhere in this facility. There's no rapid test. What the elders do is they examine, they sit down opposite the person presenting themselves for membership, and they examine their profession of faith to see if it lines up with what the Scriptures say. They listen for the Gospel. They hear where the person's trust is. And they also question whether, in knowing the people, whether their actions line up with the faith they profess. And James drives home his point in verse 19. He says, You believe that God is one? You do well. Good job. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In other words, you say you believe certain things. You say you believe that there is one God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that He is God's way of salvation. But even the demons believe that and it does them no good. Real faith, saving faith, is more than just believing certain facts. Saving faith Trust in Jesus Christ as God's only provision for salvation. And that faith results in a life that knows and loves and serves the living and true God. All right, there's one more diagnostic question that James presses upon us. The first, does the faith we profess show evidence of life. Second, does the faith we profess embrace the truth of God? And thirdly, 
Does the faith we profess reflect the handiwork of God's grace? Does the faith we profess reflect the handiwork of God's grace? Well, like all good preachers, uh, James gives a, us a couple of examples so that we can understand. He gives examples so we can il- to illustrate so that we can grasp the point that he is making. And so in verse 20, he says this, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And it's interesting, the word foolish here uh, could be translated empty-handed. In other words, you think you got something in your hand, but you're really empty-handed. And he calls it here, it's translated here, foolish. And to help us get the idea of what faith that comes from God looks like, James holds up two figures. Two figures from the Old Testament to illustrate. And he begins with Abraham. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What James wants us to see is that faith, faith that saves, is active. It's energetic. It's obedient to God. In the case of Abraham, to the extreme. Faith, saving faith, believes and obeys. Now, when James says that Abraham's faith was completed by his works, what he's saying is that uh, you, what you're seeing is a faith that operates like you would expect it to. Like it is, it is operational. So that the works that proceed from this faith are faith-filled and faith-fueled. It's a faith that God is at work in and through. Next, James holds up the Old Testament figure of Rahab. Verse 25, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So faith was at work in Rahab as it was in Abraham. And both figures are illustrations for us of what faith looks like in action. So, James holds up these two figures. Abraham, who was willing and took steps to sacrifice his son Isaac, who was the son of promise. That's what God has said. Isaac, his only, Abraham's only son, his son whom he loves. And that faith was willing to believe and to trust God. With Rahab, we see Rahab risking her life to hide these spies that had come to Jericho and then later to send them on their way. And what James wants us to see is a functional faith. 
a faith that shows itself in practical ways. In Hebrews 11, you've got a, a long list of um, saints of old as illustrations of faith. And it's filled with exploits of things that faith prompted them to do because they believed God. In that list, you find Abraham and you find Rahab. And these two figures that James brings here represent two extremes. You've got a male and a female. A prominent figure and a peripheral figure. A respected figure and one not so much. A Jew and a Gentile. And James could not make the contrast between the two any starker when he says, Abraham, our father. That's what he calls him. And Rahab, the prostitute. But in both examples, Abraham and Rahab, God's handiwork of grace is conspicuous. We can see it. Faith is inclined toward God, believing what He says and acting in obedience as it entrusts itself to His will. See, the, the faith of Abraham and the faith of Rahab were not different species of faith. There are no species. There is one faith. There are no degrees of saving faith. As Paul said, pass, fail. Faith is either authentic, our, the faith that we're looking at in our own hearts is either authentic or it's inauthentic. It's either alive or it's dead. It is either from God in causing us to be born again to new life, or it is of our own manufacture. Here's James' conclusion, verse 26. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Just as our unseen spirit animates our physical bodies, so unseen faith animates our body of works as believers in Jesus Christ. Let me close by returning to that apparent contradiction between Paul and James. The question was, are they at odds about how a person is justified before God? Are they at odds in how a person becomes right? How a sinner becomes right with a holy God? Is Paul saying that we are saved by faith alone? But James is saying, well, we're saved by faith plus works. Is Paul pointing us to Christ alone? And James saying, Christ and the works that we add to measure, to make up for what his work is lacking. Now, I think we've seen in James' argument this morning, that Paul and James are not contradicting each other. They are complementing each other. That we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone.
And surprisingly, Martin Luther himself settles the matter. Here is his description of genuine faith from his preface to Paul's letter to the Romans in Luther's 1522 edition of the German Bible. I'll read it in English. Real faith, these are Luther's words now, real faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. Whoever does not do such works is an unbeliever. Thus, it is impossible to separate works from faith quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. To that, James and Paul would say amen. Let's pray. Father of lights, help us to know our hearts, and may they rest in you alone. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Let us uh, stand and sing together in Christ alone. <laughs>